What is going on, everybody? Welcome to You and the Boys, where it is you and the boys. Today, we're taking a look at the documentary series that's taken the world by storm. And if you haven't heard of it, you might be living under a rock. Of course, we're talking about The Last Dance, which follows the Chicago Bulls and NBA Hall of Famer Michael Jordan and their journey to their six NBA titles. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Greatest documentary I, I've ever seen. I need like 15 more episodes of it. <laughs> I think we all Same. do. That's safe yeah. to say. It really, it, it shed the light for this generation of, you know, people who watch basketball on how great that team really was and how influential they really were. Because, you know, kids growing up now, I think they start to forget because they weren't around that era. But it was truly and something to be loved. Them yes, young bloods don't know what's up. I think that it was um something... You know that this this documentary was something that sort of made the uh, downtime of sports a little better because, like, it was something that without you know without sports we didn't really have much that we were all watching at the same time and discussing mm. on a weekly basis. But for five weeks, we all, as basketball fans, had this thing that we could watch and follow along with and um, really look forward to. And I'm all I almost feel like I have no direction after this because it's like well. There's no, there's no next ESPN documentary. So like, what do I do? But um, yeah. overall, I thought this was really fun and like, um, for some people, this was reliving an experience. For us, it was just living an experience for the first time, um, and I thought it did a pretty good job. I also really loved how like in the episodes, they still showed like a lot of gameplay. So it wasn't just like you were kind of just like watching a story, where it also like showed mm. you like. The results like where sometimes they just show like oh this he won this game he did such a great job he had this result but mm-hmm. they showed you the process and the in-game like footage of him like how dominant he really was and i like never watched a jordan game live any of us did so kind of to see that like those highlights of him like in his peak it was such a good like addition to the episodes but at the same time i think what's nice is that even though you get to see these games this seems like a show that i could get non-basketball people in my family to watch like this seems yep. like something that, you know, could be marketed to them as well. It's not just like you have to be an NBA guy to watch it. Yeah, it was just kind of like it had so many different aspects to it. like it. It was emotional. It was funny. It had it all to where it was like some of the best pieces of like workout and television we've seen in a long time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was just about to say like um, to to counter what Jack said um my mom, she's never watched a single game of basketball in her life. She says, like, I don't even really like basketball that much. And even she was completely hooked on this series. And the reason why she said she loved, she loved it so much is because um, it didn't just show the game footage. She liked seeing all the politics going on behind that team and the whole dynamic and how the egos and the personalities sort of clashed in that team. She said she really enjoyed that aspect of it. So it's completely true. I think that um, it's you know hard for some of the listeners to relate to this but for us i think it was probably also interesting to see how the reporting circuit went back then um the the media for the bulls how much they were hounding the players and you got to see so many clips of um of the media sort of questionings uh the scrums that were happening during practice during games um and that was just really interesting to see because um it was probably just a really exciting time to cover the sport um especially in chicago yeah, what I was about to say was, if I could describe this whole documentary series in one word, I think I'd use the word genuine because 
they literally showed everything from like the media side to the politics side. Like they didn't hold anything back, which is why I feel like it'd be so intriguing for uh, non-basketball fans like Ryan's mom. I feel like anyone could watch it and still have like a like a good takeaway from the documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, even the players themselves when they're being interviewed, you know, uh, Pip and Jordan, you could tell that um, there was no holding back. This was like all chips forward. They weren't they weren't capping <laughs> whatsoever. No cap. They were you know, they're really, you know, explaining their emotions and what they felt at the time. Um, example, like Jordan literally just straight up said, I didn't like Isaiah Thomas back then and I still don't like the guy, which was pretty cool to, you know, watch. Mm-hmm. One of the um the doubts that I sort of heard online and from other people um when this documentary first started in its first few weeks was that people were worried that it was going to be told too much through the michael jordan lens and that some of that bias would sort of come through in the story and things would either be held back or not told but um after watching all of it do you guys think that um this was a fair representation obviously we don't know for sure but do you think that um it was fair and that you know the pros and the cons of what was going on with the bulls back then were being shown I think so, just because they showed, like, Jordan's flaws as well. Like, it wasn't just all, like, Jordan was the best, Jordan was the best. Mm-hmm. It was, like, mm-hmm. touched on, like, the gambling. And then what year was it when he, like, the night before his game, he went gambling and then lost the next night and he had a horrible game? Yeah. Like, stuff like that. Like, they didn't let, just because he's known as, like, the GOAT to, like, filter anything. It was so unfiltered, and they showed that. He had a lot of wrongs in his career, too, and he was, like... They exposed his lows, pretty much, like, his yeah, weak points. Yeah, he wasn't, like, the large, like, the perfect human being that he is made out to be mm-hmm. to, like, people in our generation, I feel. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you in a sense. Like, I did feel, like, sympathetic for him in a sense. But I was also really surprised by, like, his attitude towards, like, playing. I just never thought, like, you never see stuff like that with our, like, best players in the league, like... LeBron, you never see things of him as being like a, like abusive almost towards his teammates because he wants to win that bad. Where like mm-hmm. I felt like Jordan, like he was, he didn't care who it, what teammate it was or how rude he had to be. He was gonna tear that person down either until they broke or until they fought back. And he, he would pick back. on people. Even people said, wasn't like paying off the refs. They thought he paid off the refs to fi- like fix games at one point they're saying there was the whole like, scandal with the gambling thing yeah it was the so like, thing too yeah he wasn't like the perfect person that people in our generation thought he was mm-hmm. but he was like people that actually lived this generation they probably all knew this stuff then but they don't bring it up as much now i feel like it just kind yeah. of like ignored but it was cool to see it like kind of put on blast but also like he had the chance to redeem himself I think that um, the gambling and sort of stuff like that, how it showed was like he was a very competitive person, but it was sometimes to his detriment. Um, The way he would be competitive about every single aspect of his life would make it so that um, he was always competing, you know? And like, I feel like that was sort of something that tore him down at some points, Well, as well as it made him what he was. Like, most of his teammates really weren't like that. So whenever there was a practice and guys were just like, oh, you know, that was a long homestand. And then you have Michael walking into practice being like, 
you, you can't even sit down. You, you can't you can't relax for two seconds. You have to play hard every single time. Mm-hmm. That could have torn down his like teammates a lot. Like, and you saw throughout the doc with Curry, you're just like, you know what? I've had enough of this guy. Like, he's way too competitive. Mm-hmm. But even things like he would like go out of his way to make him anything competitive. Like guys on a plane, even playing for like a dollar, where like he, like the one they were talking about, they were playing blackjack. Yeah, he was playing for like thousands at the back of the plane, and they were playing for like one dollar a hand yeah. at the front of the plane. And he'd go play with the one dollar a hand just so he could say just, he had just their for money. the moral victory. Yeah. yeah, like I couldn't imagine like living like that. Like I couldn't either. And you could see, you you could really see the toll um, losing had on Jordan throughout this whole documentary. He could not stand losing. He could he couldn't even stomach it at times. Like um, that series where they lost to the Magic, you could see that just his look in his face. He wasn't used to losing, and he didn't like it. And that's what made him so great. Mm-hmm. That also connects to that whole segment of them. Uh, I think it was in Jordan's. I don't know which season, but they they went on like a what, like a five game road losing streak, and they Jordan just couldn't take it. Like you could literally see him like kicking stuff, and then like like all yeah. of his emotions in it were just expressed fully, and it just really gave the the viewers just a sense of what the team and Jordan were feeling at that time. Mm-hmm. I think it that- also showed how he like impacted the rest of the team in like having that mindset. Yeah, because the one year when he was like the two years he wasn't there, and Scottie Pippen kind of took the role of like the team leader, and you see like Pippen like they said he was more like the softer guy and like kind of like helped his teammates. Yeah, but they showed a couple of clips where he like absolutely flipped you, like the one where he like threw the chair onto the court. Yeah, I saw that. So like and- the competitive nature definitely rubbed off on his teammates from Jordan. Like to bounce off what Joseph said, um, when the Scotty Pippen episode came, my whole um, outlook on Scotty before the documentary, I just saw him as like this reserved, sort of quiet, you know, um, no BS sort of guy. Like he didn't make a fuss, he didn't kick a fuss, but he turned out to be like one of the <laughs> one of the sassiest, one of the biggest egos on the Bulls, and that surprised me so much. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not see that coming. But, like, talking about change perspectives, if we want to get into, like, a next topic here. Yeah. Did our views on Jordan change after this documentary? <sighs> Jack, I mean, you want to start us off? That's cool. If, if I can do the honors, I think that um, I, I think that I have a different opinion than some people. A lot of people in this thing after this said, like, oh, he seems like a mean person. Um, you know, his competitiveness makes him seem... Um, very like hard-headed or whatever um personally i think after watching this i felt like i didn't have that same feeling that he was a mean person i i felt like i finally got some sort of understanding as to why he's such a stubborn and like just persistently competitive person um and i think that to an extent when they when they peel back about the emotional side of him which is hardly shown uh you feel more sympathetic for him you know talking about the passing of his father and how that clearly influenced uh, his career um whether it was you know his transition to baseball or uh, when he returned back to basketball how he had a bit of a rough start um you could tell that was a a, a clear thing that hurt him and affected him um you know rightfully so um but I, i think that just this show made me feel more sympathetic about him especially someone who you know i hate to admit it but i didn't really know too much about him um, I just sort of knew him as this 
you know, co- competitive, um, sort of mean, dictating person. Like he said in the in the show, like, you know, I'm some people might watch this and think, oh, he's just he was just a tyrant. Yeah. For me, it didn't really change my views on Jordan um, because I knew going into the series, um, as Jack said, he was just really fiery competitor um, that sort of looked you know, um, look to always win and didn't care at all costs he would win. But what it exposed to me was um, the other egos that surrounded Jordan on the team. I didn't really know about the whole Kraus, Jordan, uh, Jackson sort of triangle going on. That was a really interesting um, dynamic that was explored in the uh, documentary. It was really fun to follow. Um, I also loved the episode about um, Rodman. That was that that was great. I didn't know mm-hmm. that he was this really mm-hmm. quiet sort of like um reserved kid from the Bronx coming in. I always thought he was crazy, but no. Um it was great seeing all the different teams from the different generations that the Bulls had to go through to win the championship. But as for Jordan, didn't really change my views on him at all. Like it's pretty much the same for me. I don't know. For me now, like he's my like he's definitely the GOAT in my opinion. Yep. Rightly so. Like before, I'll admit I was like pretty torn between him and LeBron, who's the goat. But after seeing the amount of like players he kind of destroyed, and like Mm -hmm. he took championships away from the like the whole league for eight years practically. Yeah. To be fair though, LeBron doesn't have a ten-part documentary series. But he. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, To be honest, I'm talking more (laughs) on like success here because like. Fair I don't enough. know, LeBron, like, LeBron hasn't been the one winning the championships where... Only three. Mm-hmm. Jordan was able to win that many championships for that long of a period of time. Just pure and dominance. Like, on yep. top of the world, like, it just showed me, like, how great he really was. And it, in the strongest, most competitive era of basketball anyone's ever seen before it's, it's crazy to do it in the 90s. For any sport, we've never really lived through that level of dominance where a team has won six championships in such, in such a small period of time. Yeah. You know, we've, we saw nope. like the, the golden state era, but that was in comparison. So small. Yeah. yeah. And it was so easy too. Cause they had so many stars in their team. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. I always used to think that that um, 73 when golden state team was better than the bulls, but my opinions changed on that. Um, yeah. The bulls were just a different animal to be honest. I think oh, the closest thing we've seen in sports to those, Bulls is not even in basketball and it's in football with the Patriots winning. Patriots, yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. But other yeah. than that, I don't think we've experienced anything close to that. And even the Patriots haven't been that dominant as inside of North America, at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I... the closest thing we've ever gotten in recent history to that Bulls team, I'd say like, of course the Warriors, but then you'd also have teams like the Owen Lakers the Miami Heat dynasty, and even the Celtics throughout like the whole um, 2000s and 2010s, they've always be- been that team that's never really had a bad season. But they weren't anything like the Bulls. That's the thing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Drew, how about you? Were your views on Jordan's on Jordan changed? Um, here's the thing. I, th- I feel like what the documentary did for me was it gave me a much more clear picture of what was going on during the era. So I th- mm. I, you guys touched on that. Um, yeah, it just gave me a better sense of what really happened during the era and what kind of 
players and teams that Jordan had to face off against. Like I, if I'd never watched this documentary, I would have never known about that little pesky Charlotte team with BJ Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I would have never known that the Knicks were that good with Ewing. Um, and it just also gave me a sense of like what today's players would look like in that league, because I feel like today's NBA compared to back then it's way softer. Cause if you put, if you put players from our generation today in a situation where they're in a really tense game against, let's say the bad boy Pistons, they wouldn't last. There's no oh, doubt no. about it. Like Just... I'll, I'm, this is a very hot take, but if you put the 2017 Warriors against the bad boy Pistons, that'd be a really good matchup. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so sorry. Different way of playing. Yeah, so I didn't finish my um my view, but in terms of Jordan, I feel like my stance still remains the same. It's just that I have a better um view on Jordan. And I, I do consider Jordan the GOAT at the at this moment, but I feel like LeBron has so much more potential, and I feel like he might be taking the throne very, very soon. Does he though? I he's feel 30, like that. he's thirty six. He's 36, but he ages like fine wine. He gets better and better with every year. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll wait and see on that one. I think, I think in all fairness, one story is written, one is still being written, right? That's true. Yeah. Good yeah. point. Good point. That, that, that's yeah. the point that I was trying to make, but yeah, thanks, Jack. I wanted to, um, it was mentioned, uh, Dennis Rodman. I want to talk with him for a minute. He's a mm. character that um, really uh, interested me. He seemed um, just like such an inter- interesting person. Um a real march to the beat of your own drum type of character, um, mm-hmm. a real documentary character, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, like Rodman was my favorite character out of the whole nineties uh, bulls team. Uh, he was the most interesting to watch in the documentary just because he was such a, he did not care about what anyone thought. And that doesn't, that um, doesn't really um, just tie in with like his style but also the way that he lived his life. Um, the way I saw it, if he wanted to go do a WWE match before a game night, nobody was going to stop him. He was going to yeah, do it because he wanted to do it. He but didn't care he did about stuff that. Like that. Like he went and was on TV with Hulk Hogan on WCW, yeah. beat the crap out of Diamond Dallas Page, went out the yeah. next night and absolutely destroyed the boards. That's the thing. That's, that's what I get a feeling about Rodman. He takes the game so seriously, but he also has so much fun with his life. It's not like he's going to do that um, the night before, and then he's just going to like half mail it in mm-hmm. the next night. He's still going to give it everything he's got. doesn't matter what he did the night previous, and that's just something there crazy like, to watch. There was like a clip of Rodman in the series that was like one of my favorite clips of the whole thing. Yeah. It's after a game, and he's walking in the parking lot, drinking a Miller Lite. <laughs> he finishes the can, hops on his motorcycle, and just yeah. rips it off. Yeah. I think that was Vegas. That was, that was Vegas, right before his Vegas. That was right before his Vegas. Oh, right. But yeah. it was just the way he like came out with his beer in hand, so cool, and like just hopped on his bike and just took off. It was just man, I love Rodman. That guy's he doesn't seem like he embodies cool, but to me, free the free spirit and the zaniness that he exuded, that's cool to me. I think he's that's, just a cool yeah. guy. It's moments like these in the documentary which really emphasized my point of why I consider Dennis Rodman to be like one of the most entertaining 
figures we've seen in sports history. Yep. You mentioned how he would, you know, go and do these weird things, but he would also come back and play. It was nice mm-hmm. that the, the team was quick to realize, like, you have to adapt to how he lives to have him on yeah. the team. You Nobody can't, can you can't try him. to morph him into the type of player that you want him to mm-hmm. be. I think that's yeah. important, and that's what kept him on that team. They should and have let his leash go. One much. one thing about the expression, I think that um, his his expression was just so interesting, the way he would uh, dress and the way he would um, sort of style himself. I thought what was really powerful was the scene where he talked about how um, he was in the parking lot um, of the stadium in, and he had a gun in his car and he fell asleep. And then after that, he just sort of had this um, moment where he realized, like, you know, I'm not being myself and I need to be myself. And after yeah. that, everything just like it, it, he just like turned a corner. Everything just changed. And I thought that was that's really when, interesting. That's when the real Rodman was born. That that's was why it. I think he's yeah. such a cool cat. And I cause... feel like there was no looking back after that. And it was just interesting. Yeah, Rodman. he doesn't yeah. care. And also just watching um, one of my favorite clips in the whole series, uh, it was just watching Rodman play. But that scene where he goes up for the rebound and he ha- he must have tipped it like six times. And he's right. just an animal, an animal on the boards. That was crazy <laughs> to watch. And that, that's also something that I wanted to touch on. If you want the real definition of hustle in the yeah. NBA, Dennis Rodman is a prime example. He I mean, they were after there were clips in the documentary where this guy would be going after rebounds and after like six or seven tips, like he'd secure it. But then there'd be other times where the ball would come out of nowhere. It'd be flying into section two, but he'd yeah. just run, grab the ball, throw it behind him and just go flying into the stands. You don't see and that in the modern NBA. You don't. And his hustle was just, if his hustle rating isn't a 99 and 2K, I'm calling up Ronnie. I'm making a complaint. I must say, though, like, if you look at the rest of the NBA history, Mm. I don't know, this is my opinion, but most of the other players that we recognize from that era, they were, like, scorers, if you agree. Yeah. Yeah. Where Dennis Rodman was, like, one of the first, I feel, to get his name remembered without being a dominant scorer. He did everything except score. And that made him so special. That I think that all ties into um, him realizing who he was as a person free will of character because it was that one point in the documentary where he said i have to realize i'm not a scorer and i'm just going to go out there every night i'm going to learn going to calculate the bounces and i'm just going to become the best rebounder that there ever was that was something that was something that blew me away i didn't know rodman actually took the game that seriously but when he said that he like learned all the trajectories and like the how the ball would just bounce off the rim depending on who shot it mm-hmm. and how he just studied that to like a T literally yeah, which mm-hmm. is insane i find that just to be so intriguing like, he's easily yeah. a top 3 defender and rebounder in nba history in my opinion no question about it oh yeah i, would, I 100% agree with you nobody can deny that he can defend and rebound like out like against anybody some of the best which is exactly what that bulls team needed yeah Yeah. perfect fit this is what i thought of after watching the documentary i thought of like if i were to build like my own dream team i would 100 110 without blinking i would take dennis rodman hot take hot take not even hot take i feel like that's only the right decision like you got to have a guy like rodman on your team 
uber defender. To go from there, to continue with like his teammates, let's look a bit more into Scottie Pippen, mm-hmm. who also got a lot of attention in like his own episodes. And uh, mm-hmm. for me, my views on him really changed, and I never realized how he was sassy as like Ryan's. I think it was Ryan that said it earlier. Yeah, but he had every right to be right to be the most undervalued and underpaid player yeah. in NBA history. Insane. Yeah. And I, I think that the, the contract he signed that was super long and quickly um, became basically nothing to him uh, just because of how low it was. Um, you know, you, you can only help but feel bad for him because of that, because the decision he was making to sign that deal was one where he did it because he wanted to take care of his family. You know, he had two people who were in wheelchairs. He had a huge family. Um, that he just yeah. wanted to make sure was financially secure. Um, mm-hmm. So to sign that long deal and have that job security for that amount of time makes sense. But at the same time, you just got to feel bad because he could have gotten so much more. He could have. And um, I think probably the the most important uh, arc to Scotty's storyline in the documentary was that 94, I believe, season. Michael was out playing baseball and when yeah. he refused to um, to take that um, to play in the final minutes of that game because he mm-hmm. wasn't getting the ball, yep. I think that was an important arc because after the game he realized, you know, even without Jordan, this isn't all about me. I've got to recognize those around me. And I think that was really mature and very um, single-minded uh, attitude to have for him and that helped him, helped him win another three championships. He had a good bounce back from that, like that one downfall of himself there. Mm-hmm. He did. He mm-hmm. did. Didn't let him beat it. I, I think for it, me, it, uh, what I sorry, uh, what I thought of Scottie Pippen, I always knew that he was like Jordan's right hand man, and I always knew that he was like easily one of the top, maybe top five forwards of all time in NBA history. But this documentary, it did the same thing with a lot of different things. It just really put into perspective what went on behind the scenes and what went on during like each season, each play. And I just, I, yeah, I feel like my perspective on Pippen did change and I definitely have a lot more respect for him. It really changed my perception. Like I said before, but I think everyone here can agree that without Pippen, they're not even, they, they might be winning one championship without Pippen. Yeah. What it made like, it kind of gave me like a modern day like vision. Like it kind of reminded me. This might be a bad take to a lot of you, but it reminds me of Giannis and Chris Middleton. Wow, hmm. but they have to they have to go out and prove themselves now. No, though. no, no, not like championship wise, but like the potential yeah. there, just in like the skill wise and how Pippen is so amazing in like the NBA. We're like undervalued, underpaid. We're like Middleton may not be underpaid because of like today's way of paying players, but yeah, he's so undervalued and like underrated as such a good player. Yeah, but there's still such a big gap between him reaching the level of Giannis. True. Yeah. Where it was like the same. Where like Pippen, like no offense to Pippen, but he was not on like the Jordan level. And of it shows they didn't win a championship. Nobody's on Jordan. Of course level. not. They didn't win a championship in the two years Jordan wasn't there. Yeah, it was, it was, well, I don't want to say it was a one-man show, because it really wasn't, but 
the documentary just showed how important Jordan was to that whole team. Yeah, Pippen was like the best number two in NBA history, in my opinion. But I don't yeah. know if he could have been a number one. Well, hmm. I, I think a... sometimes to be a good number two doesn't mean you can take that number one spot. It just means that you know how to play second fiddle. You know how yeah. to compliment yeah. the other player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Similar to Rodman's situation, you got to like know your place. If you know your place yeah. and you just hone that, you just focus, and you're good at that, you're you're set. Going back to um the thing that Ryan mentioned, the the scene where Scottie Pippen sat out on the last play, I thought that was a really interesting scene because we just saw like how he he sort of realized that like players can't carry themselves as sort of like a this team lives or dies without me sort of attitude. Yeah. Because he he felt the emotional impact of that after when the whole team said, you know, you let us down. Like, yeah. we were a team here and you decided to, you know, be a lone wolf about it. And you he let made, us down. Was it Bill Cartwright? He made Bill Cartwright cry? Yeah. yeah. It made him, I think that whole, the, the whole part of that scene, uh, the reason why that was there, that was the team's way of letting Scotty know that Michael didn't see himself as a one-man show. The reason why that team was so successful is because he valued his teammates and he played off them and he wanted to make them better. Mm-hmm. Jordan would never do that, and the team knew that pretty much. Yeah. Um, next, we'll talk about who also got, like, not a whole episode, but a brief little piece of an episode, Steve Kerr. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's not much to say about Steve Kerr because, I don't know, he wasn't, like, the star player or even, like, one of the three best players. He he had a tragic timeline, I thought. Yeah, he did. That's what makes him so special, I feel. But when you look back at it, I, I'd make a case that collectively, like, not just as a single player, he's had one of the most successful basketball-related careers of all time. When yeah, you get it, player to coach. Yeah, it's definitely. crazy. Mm-hmm. Even even that extra championship he won with the Spurs, like he's been what a life that guy's lived. I totally forgot about that Spurs championship. Yeah, yeah he has some rings to his name. He really does. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like he was like the only player that Jordan bullied. Well, not to say Jordan was a bully, but. He did, like, attack his teammates, and out of all of them, they all kind of just took it, like Scott Burel, yeah. a couple other guys mentioned, but Steve Kerr was the only one that didn't just take it. He battled back at Jordan, and that's what led to, like, the infamous moment where Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr right in his face. Yeah, and that made Jordan respect Kerr way more than he used to. Yeah, and all that, like, that pounding down on Kerr led to him being the guy to hit the shot in the 97 finals. Yeah. Because of that trust. I thought it was great the way they explained that, you know, once they hit this boiling point, it was almost like, okay, like we got no more problems now. We're just going to like be this good unit. Like they, they had these troubles before. And then once that fight happened in practice, they were just able to, I mean, for a lot of people, I think if you have a fight like that in practice, issues would go on for months, um, weeks, or maybe things would just end. But mm-hmm. um, these guys were able to use that problem as a way to sort of earn respect and just, like, work even better together. Really just goes to show how tough that era was. I think I think it also shows how, like, Jordan didn't take things emotionally in the sense that, like, um, he wouldn't be 
he wouldn't be like i don't know how to put it like the the way he was with his teammates being mean to them and stuff like that it was strictly business he didn't actually mean to be mean to them he was just trying to push them and once he mm-hmm. saw that from from kerr he saw that he you know kerr was able to push back and he was able to actually show that spirit i think that that's when he realized okay like he's taking it serious like i am jordan would never be mean for the sake of it he's mm-hmm. trying to improve everyone around him mm-hmm. at all times mm-hmm. um something something that i heard uh, kerr say um when the last dance was sort of about to come out so he said that you know when he looked at the promo poster and he saw himself on it um he, he said he kind of cringed because he knew that tony kukoc was a much better player than he was and a lot of people don't realize this but in that final game against the jazz i was just talking about earlier Kukoc dropped 30 points in that game on something like 11 for 13 shooting. And I don't know why they didn't really talk about it. I'm really confused about that. Kukoc is an underrated scorer, in my opinion. He is. He's a sharpshooter, definitely. That final. The complete opposite of Rodman. All he was there to do was score. Score, score, score. Nothing else. Yep. (laughs) I feel like he'd be a cheese player in 2K, not going to (laughs) lie. (laughs) <laughs> well, they kind of called him out on that, like saying he was like kind of just like what was expected. Just he could score; he couldn't really do much else. Mm-hmm. No one can deny though he deserved more screen time. I mean, it's I, just because he hasn't really made a name know. for himself after that team. I, I think it's that... just storyline wise, there wasn't really much he added to it. They there was the Olympics storyline, mm-hmm. but besides that, he seemed like a pretty neutral character. He was just there. Yep, like sure he was, he was performing, about... but like he didn't. When you think of Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, sort of Steve Kerr, you think of yeah. these like characters maybe even larger than life characters you know that's absolutely right i feel like when they interviewed kukoc he was just sort of like there the whole documentary revolved around Mm storylines it was all about storylines and kukoc he was a great player no one can deny he was better than steve kerr but steve kerr had a storyline to his career Mm -hmm. kukoc just you know he kind of you know showed up uh played root Played pretty well for the Bulls. Had a lot of clutch moments, but that's about it. Like, it's just kind of there. Okay. The, uh, the, con- the Olympics thing was interesting, though. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, but to continue with um, key members of this team. Mm-hmm. Next, we'll get into the head coach of this dynasty, Phil Jackson, the Zen Master. What a! I see him as a conductor for oh, yeah. for him to be the masthead of all of the different intertwining egos that that team had and for him to sort of pull things together in the way that he did through uh as mentioned it was the his sort of native native methods um yoga he had team he had the team do yoga he was directing a bunch of guys triangle offense it's crazy how he pulled that team together uh, in the way that he did he was a mastermind, and how like that triangle yep. offense so like revolutionary. Speaking of that triangle offense, I that's when I learned that Phil Jackson wasn't the one who created it. Yeah, it yeah. was the it was other text guy. Hunter. Text, text yeah. Hunter. They called it the uh, triple post offense in the fifties, but Phil Jackson just Popularized like revamped it, it and just like really it on the map. yeah. But to bring that, like, and everyone kind of slept on him, and then he came in and took that and made such a dynasty. Mm-hmm. Like, legendary. You see so <laughs> many problems now with, like, super teams. 
Like some ones that comes to mind are like the LeBron, Kyrie, Love, yeah. or yeah. Dwight, Nash, Bryant. They couldn't work. But to see a coach take three such like emotional players, not just only skilled players with Jordan Pippen and Rodman and so many other players along the way that added to that. And he made them, he made it to such a unit to where it just kind of flowed so well. It didn't take any adjusting. He knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show that I think he may be like the best coach in NBA history. I, I had no idea that he was a player before his coaching days. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, man. Guy was rocking it on the Knicks. <laughs> he was pretty, I thought it was like, pretty good too, they said. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah, apparently he, he was actually pretty nasty. Yeah. I think one of the funny parts, like when they're interviewing him about him playing, he's like, yeah, sometimes before games, like I'd regularly like drop acid. It's like, uh, oh, <laughs> I then. But it was also funny to see like how um, during his time, players like at halftime, they would literally just like smoke cigars and like have beers and like go back out. <laughs> I thought it was so interesting. Um his coaching and his leadership obviously brought a very like good mindset to the team. Cause Rodman before he was part of the team um, was such a, a villain. Right. And then when he comes in, it's almost like, okay, well you're one of us now, you know, no hard yeah. feelings. And um, how's that going to work? Yeah. Like I feel like there'd be some animosity with any other player that would have so much like um, s- such like a, a dirty play style before heading into the team. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And going off of that, um, I wanted to touch on Phil Jackson's connection to like, like the whole idea of like being Zen, and and like the outside influences that really made him the coach that he was. He he spoke about um, like his indigenous influence, along with like the Japanese idea of like being Zen and all that. It's like Phil just knew how to like connect with each and every player on his team. Like you said, Rodman was seen as the villain before he came to Chicago. Like he was a part of that bad boy piston team. But Phil Jackson just knows how to connect with players and just read them and turn mm-hmm. them into the players that they are or the, or the players that, that we know them as. You know? to, ba- to like bounce off that, I think an important part of like um, Rodman's play style, um, it was in one of the earlier episodes. He said one of like the most important um, ways that he improved as a player was having a head coach that really understood him. Yeah. And I think Phil really did that well with Rodman. He said, you're a zany guy, you're a free spirit. I don't have a problem with that. Just yeah. get get your ass on the court and you'll do fine. And I think that really helped the team in general. I think it, 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 similar to what you're saying, it was just the overall respect that players had for him was why they worked so well as a team. Yeah, even Jordan said, like, after this year, if Phil is in coaching, <laughs> I'm not playing for this team. That's how much they respected him. So I actually want to um, talk about that. He he mentioned that, you know, he wanted to – he was like, if, if Phil's not part of them, um, I'm leaving. Do you think that was the only aspect? Or, like, you saw how the the fame and the media and everything would get so tiring for him. Do you think that was a big aspect, too, that he was just sort of – ready to be gone and that was sort of his last straw where it's like well once phil's gone you know that's when i've decided that everything's gonna be done i think it was just the overall ambiance in the clubhouse like that was the last dance everyone sort of knew it even jerry said like 
after this year, I'm pretty much going to blow it up. And everyone kind of knew it, even though he didn't, he didn't necessarily have to, they could have went for another title, but um, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy to me. This was it. This was the end of ages. And that's what drove them to win the end. I think Mm -hmm. it was it, but Jerry Krause kind of the other Jerry, he built this championship team and he Mm. destroyed it. Man, yeah. I, I don't know. I it was his ego. I'm I'm worried that like since none of us lived through it, someone like Jerry Krause was made to be out made to be a bit of a scapegoat for the documentary, and he was made to be the villain as the villain, even though he really. I mean, they wasn't. from from the very start they made it clear, you know, people didn't think he was a bad person. Um, yeah, he seemed respectful to the players and everybody. Um, so at the end of the day, the only thing you can really get mad about him for is business, you know. Was he not an amazing general manager, though? He really was. He was. The I guys that he got. gave a better reasoning for why he didn't want Phil Jackson back. Their relationship, Phil Jackson and Jerry Krause, I thought was really fascinating. But at the same time, jo- Joseph is right because I don't think there was a really clear-cut uh, explanation as to why that was. Yeah. But at the same time, I think – there really wasn't an explanation. It was only really between them. Yeah. Mm. My, I, I guess just my worry is that like the way this, like at the end of the movie, you sort of get that feeling of like, wow, you know, this Jerry Krause guy seemed to like be the, the bad guy out of all this. Um, and I, I mean, it, to be fair, like it could be true, could not be true, but I just don't know how true it is in the end. If I was him, I don't know if he's uh, still around. I would be upset. Oh, he died. Oh, rest in peace. Really? Um, yeah. Shame. How old was he? Um, I'm not too sure, but I thought it was kind of like interesting how Jordan at the end said he was the greatest GM of all time after ripping him basically his entire career. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at the end, they all valued him. Yeah. But at the same time, blamed him. Yeah. You all kind of. We saw them sort of picking on Jerry throughout the years, especially Jordan. He'd be like, oh, I saw you shooting around, Jerry. Like, they're going to have to lower the nets or something. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> uh, I don't know if, I know that Scotty despised him at a point with the whole bus incident. Um, it was weird to see how the players sort of hated him so much at For, points. Like, not only did they hate him, they hated Tony Kukoc because of him. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty well, much. That, I mean, yeah. for them, for him, they outlined like we didn't really hate him. We just wanted to make him look bad because then that would make him look bad. Yeah, they targeted him. They didn't really hate him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kroos. But even like, it shows how little he was almost valued, just because even the owner Jerry Reinsdorf went against him. Yeah. And that's, that's how the whole documentary ends with him offering Phil Jackson that one more year. Jack was right when they said uh, when he said that he was sort of a scapegoat, you know, mm-hmm. to be seen as the villain. But the way that um, after Jordan left, he pulled those guys. He pulled um, uh, who's the point guard? Ron Ron Harper. Um, they pulled Steve Kerr. They pulled even after losing Horace Grant. Like they still pulled together such a quality team. And I think that all came down to Kraus. He was a really great GM. He was and a I, great GM. I think yeah. that when you think about it, like it's hard to once you make a team that's that's that powerful, it's hard to contain. He mentioned that you know 
everybody became worth so much that you know a team can only have so many players that are worth tons of money and tons of you know yeah tons of space mm-hmm. um so like it it was just sort of inevitable that either through age or through people just sort of um their value going up that they were going to split ways i think maybe it was just sort of thought of the perspective of like okay well we either have a a year that could be good or could be lackluster or we just try to rebuild and we rebuild like constructively by like starting everything all at once yeah but i think it was interesting when jordan said everyone was down to sign at least you know one a one year. year one more year just so that they could right, win another you just you you never know if that year was going to be a good one cuz you know yeah people could have been aging out of their prime but i think that was probably the if michael jordan retired right then i think his legacy would have been even greater cuz his whole wizards thing was just sort of like nah yeah, I kind of wish he never did come back in 02. That would have been sick if he just retired right then and never came back. That would have been a really great arc. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. You can't stop. Yeah, it's, it's one of those we'll never know things. I'm I'm yeah. happy with how it ended, personally. Um, just the story of them getting those titles and splitting the way they did. It's better than like having that build up and then just the end is better than it being like they had this great run and then some guys stuck around and sort of had these, you know, not so yeah. good years. I feel Everyone like it was left. like poetic. Everybody it really was. Yeah. yeah. Everyone just dipped in one I'm pretty sure in one week they lost Jordan, Rodman and Pippen. That's and crazy. I don't know if you guys noticed, but one part that I want to look into more is that Kerr was traded, Pippen was traded, Jordan retired, but Rodman got released. Like, I didn't understand, like, no one in the league was willing to trade for Dennis Rodman. Like, you gave up a player of that caliber for nothing. Maybe it was kind of crazy his, to believe. Wasn't his contract, like, given no, up? because he was released. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. I, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I personally I just think that it was one of those things where they just said, if, we're, if we've lost all these guys, we might as well just start from a clean slate. I guess, yeah. They didn't want to wait, maybe. Though, just want to get rid of him. If we're gonna talk about the end, can we talk about that emotional scene where they all wrote things on paper and then burned ah, it? Ah, the Phil man. Jackson magic, man. He he knows how to like. He really knows. Pull the emotion out of this team. Yeah, I mean, the last few episodes, man, had some true like heartbreakers. Emotion. Imagine if they got tape of that fire. Oh, oh man, would have been. They had tape of almost crazy. everything except that. <laughs> That well, one that was really personal. Like that one really made us like emotional feeling. Yeah. The Jordan grabbing the ball after winning on Father's Day. Oh yeah. That, yeah. that one that one got me. Steve Kerr and his dad. That was really sad as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's one thing about this documentary. It like for being a sports documentary, it had some emotional moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even though I feel like it was so well written that at times you'd see um like i don't know it'd be like 1996 and you'd see like the team starting to really resent each other and you're on the edge of your seat being like oh is this the end is this going to be it even though you know like the result that they went through more it's just like oh what's going to happen next mm-hmm. and yeah. for people to already know the outcome but still have that feeling i think that's just an example of a really well constructed documentary you I, just took the words out of my mouth i feel like yeah we've been praising 
the documentary throughout, but I have to say one negative thing, and it's that throughout, it was at some points a little hard to keep things proper in the timeline the way it was skip around. Maybe it would be different for you guys that might have a better grasp of how those years went, but for me, the skipping around, um, it got a little confusing at some points. Yeah, it made, yeah. It made it got, you lose track sometimes. It got like, more confusing at the end, in my opinion, when it was like... 97 against the Pacers in the Eastern Conference yeah. final and 98 mm-hmm. Pacers in the Eastern Conference final. I actually, I actually thought it was really cool how, like, towards the end, you're like, oh, the final episode is all going to come down to one game. I thought right. that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. And I thought it was cool in The general, two timelines like, tied together. Even though the, the title, The Last Dance, is about that one season, you really didn't get much about that season until, like, episode eight. Like, that's yeah. when it started, like, mm-hmm. the final three episodes is when it started, like, really jumping into that season but at the same time i think all that context in those seven episodes before especially for people who wouldn't know all that stuff was vital oh yeah necessary 100 percent. and made it so you much couldn't... more um made it so much more great when the payoff happened yeah they yeah. included so many great things in those seven episodes like i want to like shout out the dream team we didn't really touch on it too much mm-hmm. but just how that dream team created Basket made basketball so much more than what it was around the whole world. Mm. If a genie came to me and said, "I will transport you back to one location at one time in the world," I'd be like, "You know what? Transport me back to that practice. <laughs> that practice with Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, all those guys. Imagine how cool it'd be to watch that in person." how entertaining it'd be to hear all that trash talk that went on oh yeah that's just man on top. would not stop yeah and i like and i liked how when they all go back to the hotel afterwards everyone was just saying well there's a new sheriff in town like none of us we're all bowing down to this guy we're, yeah we're so much like inferior to him he's just way better than us but i loved how they used those seven episodes to kind of like cue the ending mm-hmm. like how they David Stern said in the last episode that that dream team and like the after 91, 92, the views in the NBA went from in 80 countries to 250 countries. Like he tripled the views. Crazy. And that was all because of like that dream team. And like Jordan had such a key part of that. Yeah. Do you think, do you guys think that, um, you know, all the sports that succeed over the years tend to have a star, you know, we see this with, you know sports like any big sport has their one guy do you think that the nba finally or not finally but having that guy so strong in michael jordan was what helped them um sort of grow internationally yes the perfect marketing point you know you have Mm -hmm. your guy um he like they said at one point he's a tall definition of an athlete this handsome guy who's just (laughs) like leagues above the rest that's the perfect marketable athlete, if you ask me. Be like Mike. Yeah. Be like Mike. Yeah, he that has really that made him grow and like role model. His like yeah, role model. His his play, but even like things like his shoes. Right. Like something so simple, like, and he almost never even went to the Nike meeting because he wanted to be with Converse. Mm-hmm. What? And yeah. Converse turned him down. Oh wait, sorry. Like the breaking point. Not even breaking point. Sorry, it's like a revelation. When Michael said that he originally wanted to go to Adidas, yeah, that was crazy to me. That was crazy. And his dad said, or yeah, it was his, his dad. Mom was like, nah, his mom was like, nah, give mom. You're going to fly out there and you're going to listen. Yeah, to that was his mom. 
and then Nike and he created the biggest shoe brand in the world. I think it was crazy when the guy said, Oh yeah, we wanted, we were really, really gunning to sell like 60 million pairs that year. And we sold 150 million. It's like, (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that's how big it was. And I also want to touch on the uh, Jordan's impact on like people around the world. That one, that one little segment where um, Jordan and the bulls went to France and like they were just swarmed with fans. Yeah, mom. And it, it just it just amazes me to think that all of them were there for Michael. It wasn't even for the game, wasn't even there for the team. And then like you'd hear them would be they'd be like, Oh, we're here for Michael. We're here to see Michael. To think of the impact that Michael had on not even players, just like people around the world. It's just so crazy to think about. Well, you'd have to realize that. He's not just an athlete. He right. is yeah. a integral part of American culture. He so, always right. will be. And um, at the time, everyone sort of knew it. Like, this was your guy. Um, yeah, it was just really great to see um, his evolution from a rookie all the way to what he became. And um, going back to what you guys mentioned about the Jordan shoe brand, I think it's just like interesting in general how the way he was marketed got was really revolutionary in the sense that you know you saw these tennis players selling rackets like you know you can buy the racket I I won the Grand Slam with or whatever same thing mm. with golfers or even boxers um, but Jordan was like the first player from a team sport to really break into um, selling individual type products yeah. And you see that with everybody these days, but he was like the he was the blueprint for that. He's the pioneer of it. Yeah, I get what you mean. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, um, he he um, was making Space Jam that one summer um, to go along with himself being marketable. I think it was pretty cool that he pretty much admitted that was all just a way for me to get back in shape, like. Um, to have those guys around me and for everyone to know you got to make your way down to Warner Bros studio because Michael's there and he wants to play I thought that was a really cool part of the talk before I before I knew about that I was like how how did Michael Jordan being such a serious you know dude how did he take a a spot for a movie like Space Jam but um, when you take into consideration that it was a big factor of helping him get back into basketball. I mean, it makes sense. But I love yeah, how does. he kind of – they built a whole basketball arena and weight like weight room just for him. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. literally a whole thing. I was like, what? Nobody's like, actually doing that. Yeah. As That's soon as I saw the equipment, I'm like, yo, this guy means business. I'm still waiting for my inflatable dome. I'm out here. <laughs> Damn. Ryerson, get on it. They're, they're taking notes right now <laughs> alright so um, just sort of after now that we've seen these years of Michael Jordan um, comparing that to what we've seen nowadays in present time NBA um, do we have someone we can, can compare him to that we've seen now or even better have we seen a team that we can compare to the Chicago Bulls uh, let's start with the team uh, what do you guys think I would say the Warriors yeah, um, of I, I, the yeah. past few years, even out of any team since, it doesn't matter if it's current NBA. The Warriors are definitely at the top of my rankings. Just their dominance, their um, their 
what should have been a three-peat for them. But, yeah, they were just dominant. Yeah, they were they're too beastly to, like, not appreciate and put them at that level because they showed that they are at that level. You Did can't you guys... imagine dominance, but, I, like, for someone like me, I just love to hate the Warriors. Like, <laughs> and especially that team. They're, they're a bit fun... different. They have, like, a different, I feel, chem- feel to them. Then the Bulls, like, yeah. in the sense of, like, they're not as loved. Yeah, they're so not, they're not celebrated wanted, like the Bulls are. If we're talking about teams that resemble kind of Jordan's Bulls, what I wanted to touch on were the 2016 Cavs. Because mm. each player had like their own skill set as opposed to like, you might hate me for saying this, but with the Warriors, it was just offense, offense, offense. There wasn't really much focus on defense. Maybe like, They were a great defensive team. Maybe a bit from like Draymond. but I disagree. They were a great like, defensive team. If you take a look at the 2016 Cavs, they're just so much more of like a diverse team and like a deeper team than what the Warriors had. I'd say that they're more diverse, but they're not as good as the Warriors. That's my hot take. Yeah, I think the Warriors are the closest we've seen. Also because so many teams sign superstars to get good. Where with Mm -hmm. the Warriors, I'm not including Durant in this because Durant, (laughs) okay. Unfair. They won without Durant too. Yeah. And every super every player that was at the top of their game on that team was drafted by the Warriors. Homegrown talent. I'm saying the Warriors built that team from the ground, just like the Bulls did with like drafting Pippen, drafting Jordan. Yeah. So it's like very similar. Maybe not the same success in like the sense of they didn't win when they won 73 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like that team was good, and there's no doubting them. So I think we all agree on the team, but for me personally, if I were Actually, to compare, Whoa. Uh, Kobe and Shaq Lakers, oh one Lakers three Pete. You can't okay. compare them as a similar team, but talent wise, you can compare them. So they're two very I'm different teams. Like the success, and I think Kobe's the closest to Jordan that we've seen. Oh, bro, you just spoiled my answer. Right. Yeah, I'm putting Kobe. In. <laughs> Kobe, yeah. I guess we can just segment into that. So, I guess Joseph has the same opinion as me and Alex. But I feel like Kobe is the closest we've ever gotten to seeing a player like Jordan. Just in, like, the sense of, like, he plays so similar, same mindset, same. You see it, too, like, with practices, the way Kobe treated his teammates. Mm-hmm. The mentality yeah. You're Mamba. Exactly. They call it the Mamba mentality, but like, that's that Jordan mentality. Jordan started it's the that. Michael mentality. <laughs> Michael was, did it first. So I I would agree with you guys on that point, but you know, just to uh, throw something in the blender here, I'm going to talk about just current NBA players. And if I had to right now, if I were to compare any player to Jordan, I'd say the closest would probably be Kawhi, just because of his. Um, laser focus, strength, his mid game, uh, his mid range game. Um, he likes that fadeaway shot like Michael does. Sometimes I'm looking at him like, wow. Um, don't. The cornrows aside, he's looking a lot like Mike out there sometimes. And don't forget the hands. Don't forget the hands. Hands are massive. <laughs> Did you guys hear? I, I heard something recently. Uh, which is pretty interesting. I heard that though, going back to the team, I heard that the 18, 19 Warriors were approached by a film crew and they wanted to make a documentary on their season 
but the Warriors denied. What do you guys think about that? That's I would be crazy. Be. I mean, it makes sense. Like, what do you have to gain from having all your stuff filmed? Yeah, yeah. they said that they they wanted they knew that their team wasn't as you know fluid and dynamic it was a bit more of a choppy dynamic that they had that year so they're like let's just try to focus on winning which obviously they didn't in the end but quick fire question but if you guys were to select like any nba team in history to have like a like a last dance doc like documentary which would it be (sighs) Uh, uh, no one's gonna agree with me on this but that's tough just for the one season i want to see why it went so wrong i want to see the nash Dwight and Kobe Lakers. That would be very I was interesting. The same thing. That would be very interesting. I want to know why they couldn't work together. Like, what was so going? What was going on in those practices that made them so against each other? Even the 04 Lakers too. Mm. Like the one with Malone and Peyton. But even now, that had more success than the Kobe Dwight Nash. Boys. I want to see a 2013 Charlotte Bobcats documentary. <laughs> Give it to me. Give me Why that were they so bad? Philadelphia 76ers documentary. Why bro. were they so bad? Just why? <laughs> what was going on in that locker room? Yeah, but um, I thought it, I thought it would have been cool to see um, a Warriors doc, even though they didn't win. I know I'm gonna sound like a bit of a bandwagon for saying this, but I feel like a a 2012 Miami Heat documentary would be pretty cool. The thing is, is that there weren't really many like team issues surrounding that team. I mm-hmm. feel like to make it that I interesting. To, yeah, I just want. I I feel like it'd be a, like a pretty cool to see like more of an insider look on like LeBron getting his first ring. Yeah, that'd be cool. Assembling the three headed beast out of Miami. And, like, the whole storyline of them and, like, the Boston Celtics and especially LeBron and KG, I oh, think yeah. that would make for a pretty interesting doc. That would, yeah. But um, with the Warriors one, like, to see how Draymond and KD interacted would be cool. Yeah, I'd I like that. That whole, that whole relationship. But for now, all we are left with is just the history of Jordan to live on the legacy Jumpman air Jordan. Hey guys, it's Andrew checking in. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We really hope you enjoyed it to get a sneak peek at next week. Make sure you follow our Instagram at you and the boys for the latest on our podcast. With that being said, I'll see you guys in the next one. Take it easy guys. Mm-hmm.